Hello and welcome. This is Twenty One. Episode two point two, Gateway to Past Glory. Last week we introduced the second of our twenty-one wonders of the ancient world, the Ishtar Gate of Babylon. An absolutely dazzling and beautiful entrance to one of the greatest ancient cities, covered in a blue glaze, which was one of the rarest colors in the ancient world. The Ishtar Gate must have looked like it dropped straight out of heaven. It was at the end of a beautiful procession way that was used for the New Year's festival, celebrating the gods Ishtar and An. Both the gate and the processional way were decorated with golden lions, dragons, and bulls. It shined like a sapphire in the Mediterranean sun. No doubt, when Nebuchadnezzar built this gate, he envisioned it standing and shining for hundreds of years. A symbol of the strength and the renewal of the Babylonian Empire. Sadly for Nebuchadnezzar, at least, this would not be the case. While under Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon had regained its prestigious status that it had once had under Hammurabi and the Babylonian kingdoms of old. But it was not meant to last. Nebuchadnezzar's reign lasted from about 605 to 562 B.C., so about 43 years. This was one of the longest reigns in the ancient world, and it was one of the most famous. His reign is particularly famous for the events documented in the Bible, events such as him going mad for seven years and eating grass like a wild animal, and his dream about the future empires of the world. Both of these accounts can be found in the Bible in the book of Daniel, chapters four and chapters two, respectively. But I won't go down that rabbit hole today. Because we could easily get lost, and that's not the point of this show. But back to the point at hand: the Neo-Babylonian Empire would not last long past Nebuchadnezzar's illustrious reign. In 539 B.C., less than 30 years after Nebuchadnezzar died, the Persians came in from the east and conquered Babylon on their way to becoming the new power in Mesopotamia. Once Babylon fell, the rest of the empire quickly succumbed to Persian rule. Under the Persians, however, Babylon continued to remain a major city, and they pretty much left it the way it was. The Persians knew of the already existing trade networks that went through the city. Destroying Babylon would not have helped their empire at all. These trade routes were vital to the survival of any empire in the Near East. So while Babylon did not become the capital of the rising Persian Empire, it remained the center of trade in Mesopotamia. This was certainly not the norm in the ancient world. Typically, when one nation would conquer another and particularly capture their capital, the conquering nation usually decimated the capital to show everyone who the new boss on the block was. But the Persians were unique in the ancient world. Once they conquered opponent. They usually just let whoever they had conquered remain in their own lands. They continued to let them worship their own gods, farm their lands, and even rebuild some of the captured cities. Now these conquered peoples had to pay taxes to the Persians, and the Persian army was definitely the guard on the block. 
But the Persians understood that trying to force these people out of everything they had ever known and where they were comfortable was a surefire way to get them to hate you. The Persians even went as far as to let some of the peoples that had been exiled into Babylonian and Assyrian custody to return to their ancient lands. But the relative stability of Persian rule would not last. Just about 200 years after the Persians came in and conquered Babylon, the greatest general ever arrived on the scene, Alexander of Macedon. In 335 BC, Alexander began the greatest military campaign in history. Originating in northern Greece, he conquered the greatest empire in history up to that point in less than 11 years. I won't get into the conquests of Alexander here, though. Although he is one of my favorite historical characters, and maybe I'll do a podcast on him in the future, this is not the place to get into his life. But the important part of Alexander's conquest to us here is that Babylon was obviously still in pretty good shape when Alexander walked up to its gates. I can only imagine the look on his face when he came face to face with the Ishtar Gate and the Hanging Gardens. He was so taken by the city that he made it the capital of his new empire. But this elevation back onto the world stage was incredibly short-lived for Babylon. While he was still young, Alexander died in June 323 BC, and his empire was split amongst his generals. But Babylon would not go quietly into the obscurity of history. Despite the numerous changes of hands in a relatively short amount of time, both the Persians and the Greeks pretty much left the ancient city alone, which I am grateful for more than 2,000 years later. This leads me to believe that Babylon was even more impressive than I or anyone living at the time could put into words. For foreign kings and armies to come in and leave the ancient, famous, and important city alone, something had to have grabbed their attention. And yes, the city was important for trade, but that cannot have been the only reason. By leaving the city mostly alone, we have substantially more artifacts including pieces of the Ishtar Gate, left for us today to admire, respect, and learn from. Which is almost unheard of in the ancient world, particularly in eastern Mesopotamia. Even up through the Middle Ages, when a conquering army took a major city, especially a capital, you destroyed it. You burned it and destroyed any and all religious, military, and government structures. Anything that would remind the people who lived there of the nation that was just defeated. Rather than allow the people to wallow in the memories of the past, you slammed the future in their face. The future being as subjugated by this new dominant empire. But in doing this, empires and kings destroyed, melted down, and or seized thousands of years worth of history. And made it into money religious objects, or any old household object. This is perhaps one of the saddest parts of studying history. To know that there was so much out there at one point on any group of people, compared to how little has survived for us today. There are few cities throughout history who have avoided this fate. Babylon's avoidance of total destruction demonstrates the importance of the city 
held not only in the eyes of the Mesopotamian people, but also the outsiders. It almost was a gateway between the two worlds of the ancient times, the Near East and the Far East. And if you controlled this city, you could control either side of that world. Since it was viewed as such, Babylon remained an important city up through the Middle Ages. It even remained an important city in the Sassanid Persian Empire, the empire that rose in the east when Alexander the Great died. But never again would it rise to power as the capital of an empire. Perhaps the biggest reason for this decline, despite all the power changes and struggles in the region, was the rise of Islam. Now this is purely speculation, but consider this. The ancient world was a complete menagerie of religions. Every city, kingdom, and nation had their gods, and their gods were not their neighbor's gods. And while Hinduism and Buddhism were major religions in the Far East, they never came as far west as Persia or Babylon. They pretty much stopped at the Himalayan mountains. So as long as everyone continued to worship their gods, and everyone understood that, Babylon and the other important ancient cities would remain a center of power, because religion had very little or no political power at all. But as Christianity and Islam gained traction, that changed everything. As Islam became one of the driving forces in the Mesopotamian world, cities that were important to Islam became the new centers of power in the area. Cities like Mecca, Medina, and Damascus took the place of cities like Babylon, Nineveh, and Ur as the winds of power shifted from tradition and trade to religion. Now I'm going to take a slight detour here. This wasn't planned when I was researching and reading in preparation for this episode, but it became more apparent that this detour was necessary. I think this because it affects a majority of the wonders on this list. It might seem that I'm putting too much stock on religion as the main game changer from the ancient world to the medieval one. While yes, there are plenty of other differences in quote-unquote technological advances, but if you look at how religion shaped the medieval world, it shouldn't be much of a surprise that I make this claim. Here in the West, when we study medieval history, we are taught about the Christian kingdoms of Western Europe, like France, England, and Spain, and the Christian empire of the Byzantines in the East. We are taught about the Crusades, and how the Muslims were the bad guys, and the Crusaders were the good guys. But this is such a narrow, black and white, and frankly incorrect viewpoint of the events that shaped the medieval Middle East. History is never black and white. There are so many factors that influenced both sides and other external influences which led nations, people, and leaders to make the certain decisions. And it wasn't just limited to the Crusades. Religion and religious differences were the main reason for all the division across the known world. And it wasn't just limited to the Middle East either. And from all these religious differences and religious tension, religious wars broke out all across the known world, and the ancient world suffered for it. I mean, think about it. Ancient cities such as Babylon were majestic and beautiful, but they also housed a lot of materials which could be used by future kingdoms, especially to fight wars. Treasure and building materials in particular were of most value to these medieval kingdoms. 
Why bother taxing your people when you can just raid a tomb or an old building full of treasure, melt it down, and make more coins to pay your soldiers? And why have your people labor in a quarry for stone when you can just take the stone off a bunch of old buildings down the street? There is more than one wonder on this list which suffered such a fate. And as such, the sudden and fierce nature of the religions of the medieval world helped to drive a number of the wonders of the ancient world into obscurity. As we will see later on the show, more than one wonder was destroyed because it was associated with a different religion than the one that was in power, or purely because it was made of or consisted of precious materials. But I don't want to get too far ahead here. I just want to lay the groundwork for what is going to transpire a lot in Mesopotamia over the years, as this will come up again and again here on 21. Now I know that we've kind of gotten off topic here, but I think it's important to understand the shifts in the wind to understand why a city like Babylon, which had been one of the main centers of power for hundreds of years, kind of just fell off the grid. And someone else may have a different opinion as to why this happened, but of all the factors that led to Babylon and the Ishtar Gates fall from grace, I personally believe that the shift from many to one religion and all the tension that came along with that was the main cause. If you have a differing opinion or want to talk about my opinion about this, please send me a message either on my website, 21wonderspodcast.com, or send me a message on our Facebook page, and I'll do my best to respond to you in a prompt manner. Alright, rabbit trail is over. Back to the wonder. After the rise of Islam, Babylon began to fall into the abyss of historical memory. And just like Abu Simbel, the desert began to engulf this ancient city. While Babylon certainly remained in the backs of historians' minds and in plenty of religious discussions, the Ishtar Gate itself would fall out of favor for hundreds of years. The Ishtar Gate would not resurface until 1899, when its foundations were discovered by German archaeologist Robert Koldewey. Three years later, in 1902, Koldewey himself led the excavation of the foundation of the Ishtar Gate. This excavation took about 12 years to complete. Sadly, the entire Ishtar Gate was not excavated, it just simply didn't exist in whole anymore. But important pieces still existed in the sands of Iraq. For example, the dedication plaque which Nebuchadnezzar made when he completed the Ishtar Gate. The fact that I was able to read this plaque on our previous episode was only made possible by the excavations done in the early 1900s. And while the whole of the gate was no longer standing, there were plenty of pieces lying in the sand. These pieces of the Ishtar Gate were recovered and taken and placed in the Pergamon Museum in Berlin, where they still reside today. Now, despite the fact that the entire Ishtar Gate was not recovered, enough of it was that it was not too difficult to replicate the pieces missing. This allowed for the Ishtar Gate to be rebuilt in the Pergamon Museum as close to the original as possible. However, due to the size of the Pergamon Museum, only the smaller frontal part of this monstrous double gate is on display. The second is still in storage. I personally hope that the Pergamon Museum one day, 
is able to expand to include the second gate and the processional way. Allegedly, the Pergamon Museum would like to build a whole new area where they can display the processional way, the frontal gate, and the Ishtar gate all together and allow people to walk on it and through it. That would be so cool if it happened. While not in Babylon anymore, I'm sure that transversing this magnificent wonder would still create a similar feeling that it gave the Babylonians 2,500 years ago. To have this possibility for an ancient wonder is absolutely remarkable. To be able to recreate a wonder of the ancient world and have it available for the public to see and interact with would be awesome. Abu Simbel is the same way. But that, for the moment, remains a pipe dream. Will someone do that in the future in the Pergamon Museum? Who knows? Hey, maybe if this show becomes really popular, I could finance the expansion. Probably not. The Ishtar Gate still stands today as a symbol of power, wealth, and majesty, not only of the Babylonians, but of the entire ancient world. Its beauty, design, and sheer size continue to inspire all and all of us more than 2,000 years later. That concludes our visit to the Ishtar Gate of Babylon, the second of our 21 wonders. If you haven't already, I strongly encourage you to go to my website, 21wonderspodcast.com, and check out the pictures of the Ishtar Gate. There's pictures up there of the Ishtar Gate standing in the Pergamon Museum, and also some artistic renderings of what the Ishtar Gate might have looked like in ancient Babylon. They're all beautiful, and I'd recommend you take a look at them. Sadly, the Ishtar Gate, just as Abu Simbel before it, after being lost to history for so many years, does not get the love it deserves, which is why I have put it on my list. It was truly a beautiful and architectural achievement in the ancient Middle East, and deserves its spot on the list. We have now covered two of the 21 wonders of the ancient world. Both Abu Simbel and the Ishtar Gate are still standing, although neither are still standing in the original spot where they were built. A big part of that is because they were built out of common materials, stone and clay, nothing too fancy or expensive. But that is not the case for wonder number three. This next wonder on our list was not only a feat of architectural genius, but it also was built out of bronze, making it one of the most expensive and impressive wonders of the ancient world. It also is on the famous list of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Yeah.